coffee, you never own it, you just rent it for a few minutes. So this is our second week in a little uh, Vineyard Advent series called The Humble King. And uh, we're not very much of a liturgical church. We don't follow a lot of themes throughout the year, but every so often I think it's good to connect, connect with some of the deeper meanings of church life throughout the ages. And Advent is a particularly pleasant connection to consider... Uh, Christ, his coming, what that would mean to us, what it means to us now, what it would have looked like on the other side of his coming, what was going on in the world, what was the anticipation, and what was the, the impact on the nation and on the world since then. And so last week we talked about uh, humility Remember the humble king, the power of humility? And then we talked about, um, what did we talk about last week? It was hope, the hope that that produces, right? Hope that the ladies' room empties out. <laughs> Something about a water fountain and the conversations that go on around the water fountain. Thank you, ladies. Come on in. Hmm? Is it? Yeah. So Christmas Eve, 1914. At the front lines between the English and the German troops of World War I, the soldiers themselves declared a night of peace, a day of celebration. They came out of the trenches, crossed the no man's land of the battle, shook hands, exchanged cigarettes and food, sang Christmas carols, and even played a game of soccer together. All to celebrate the birth of the humble king the Prince of Peace. This came to my mind Tuesday. We were gathered as a group of pastors over at uh, Evangelical Baptist Church. We get together every Tuesday for a half an hour, just a half an hour of prayer for the Lakes region, for Laconia, uh, because of the heroin epidemic and some of the other stuff that's going on. And uh, in the middle of prayer, this thought came to me, this whole little scenario happening, and I thought somebody had to put up a white flag. 2,000 years ago, God put up a white flag in the shape of a little baby, Emmanuel, God with us, the Prince of Peace. And all heaven broke out and declared it just for few moments of time to the most lowly of shepherds. Very humble act, a declaration of peace. The peace of God is poured into the world through an infant, and peace often comes 
in small packages. Think about times when you've been in conflict and a simple, I'm sorry, turns everything around. Please forgive me, stops the aggression. A couple of scriptures we're going to be uh, looking at today. Uh, Philippians 2.7, speaking of Jesus, who, fully God, came as fully man, and he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, humility. God humbled himself. It was not a promotion for Jesus to become human. The second is an encounter that took place 800 years before Jesus was born between heaven's purposes and a prophet named Isaiah. He said this, for, uh, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Humble beginning. And the government will be on his shoulders. Wow. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. For peace to come onto a scene where turbulence and disruption are ruling, there always has to be some power that has to be confronted. Why does God choose the sledgehammer of humility to defeat foes that power and might cannot? Philippians 2.7 tells us that Jesus made himself nothing. Can the God of everything make himself nothing? Absolutely. He can do whatever he wants. That's what it means to be the God of everything, right? <laughs> In other words, Jesus, Jesus made himself so small, so not the center of attention. Consider what his birth could have been like. I mean, wise men came from afar. Right? They followed the signs. They read the signs. They were, they were anticipating great awe and wonder. A new king has been born in Israel. A new ruler has come to the world. Followed that star. Months and months of travel. Anticipation. Where do they go? Do they, they go to Jerusalem expecting this to happen in a king's palace perhaps? They find themselves in a manger amongst the animals. Jesus made himself not the center of attention. He virtually disappeared, and even shortly after, probably two years after his birth, he disappears into Egypt. But like a grain of sand forming a pearl in an oyster, often the smallest things bring about the most beautiful of results. Little things mean a lot 
small is one of the hardest things that many of us will ever do. Our culture virtually shames us if we don't think big, work to become known, make a splash, or leave our mark. Some famous personalities have made it their singular goal to become memorable, talked about, and present on the lips of everyone in a household. You know, I, I've often wondered, I, I just see them popping up uh, all over the place and, and just making a show of themselves. Who the heck are the Kardashians? <laughs> Anyways, I mean, what do they do? Right? They just promote themselves, right? It's, it's just like stuns me, you know? Just a sign of the times, I guess. But Jesus modeled another way to greatness. Teresa of Lisseur, uh, little Teresa, was a Carmelite nun who died at the age of 24 in 1897 after modeling what she called the little way, the little way of loving and following Jesus. What matters in life, she said, is not great deeds but great love. For Therese, it was through doing small things motivated by great love that the world would be changed for good. Her singular life's goal was that her death would begin the fulfillment of her mission to make God loved by his little ones. And her mission took root. In the early 1900s, a young Albanian nun named, I'm, I'm going to, Massacre this name. Right? <laughs> and Jeez Gonix Bojasu chose to take the name of Little Teresa. That's much easier. That's why she chose it, Tom. <laughs> Can you imagine going to school with that name? as she followed this same little way of love. In doing so, she ministered peace and reconciliation to tens of thousands of the world's poor. We call her Mother Teresa. The sledgehammer of humility can defeat powerful foes. If you're a lover of books, you'll know that one little plot twist can bring about an ending you would never have seen coming. Choose Your Own Adventure was a series of children's game books popular in the 1980s and 90s in the US. What made the book so popular is that the reader could choose which direction the story would take. The protagonist in the story would have two to three options available at one point in the book which the young reader would choose for the character. That choice led to more choices, and in some cases to more than 40 possible endings. Small changes, like a choice to lay down our self-reliance and to surrender ourselves to Christ's reliance, can shift the life tra trajectory from being on a path to great turbulence to being on a path of great peace. 
Jesus was a plot twist in the Jewish story and in the human story. And peace follows in the wake of the new plot line that Jesus is writing in your life and in mine. Listen to what he says in John 14, 27. Peace. Peace. I leave you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Is your heart troubled or afraid today? The peace of Jesus Christ has been left here from the Prince of Peace so that we can grab hold of it and bring peace to our own hearts. Little things move big things. In the story of The Hobbit, the little humble hero Frodo is spoken of before a council of great leaders. This is the hour of the Shire folk when they arise from their quiet fields to shake the towers and councils of the great. Who of all the wise could have foreseen it? The story goes on to form a metaphor of how a person who has made himself nothing, like Jesus in Philippians 2.7, can end up saving the many. At Christmas, we celebrate that humility can bring peace. In Advent, we anticipate its coming. Even when facing mighty enemies where power, might, and stature cannot, the Christmas story is the story of the humble king who made himself nothing, becoming the peacemaker for us all. What small acts by another have changed your entire life for good? Can you think of one? Perhaps a teacher in school or a Sunday school teacher, an aunt or an uncle, someone a coach who maybe recognized something in you and just gave you the right words, the right encouragement, the right input at the right moment and redirected ever so slightly the course of your life. Consider writing or calling that person with a word of thanks. Perhaps you'll give back to them something that they gave to you. Because the small, humble acts of peace produce joy. And joy is another thing that we anticipate in Advent. Mary, the mother of Jesus, Elizabeth, her cousin, the shepherds, and the prophetess Anna. For all of them, Christmas means joy. Scriptures will be considering and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The humble king humbled himself again. When Elizabeth, who's Mary's cousin, heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Before the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, 
Mary's presence with Jesus in her womb brought the baptism of the Holy Spirit through John the Baptist to Elizabeth. Wow. Wow, what joy, huh? What joy. Do we all know Mary's Magnificat? My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit exalts in God my Savior. That's as far as I know. God has done great things for me, and his mercies will reach from age to age, yes, and holy, holy, holy. Joy is in short supply in many of our lives. Isn't that true? There's so much pain and suffering. I mean, just consider the circumstances of this opioid epidemic, all the death and loss and pain and suffering. I, I pray all the time for these first responders, day after day, staring death in the face, you know, the last hope for some individual you know, who's gone wrong and plunging in that needle, hoping, you know, to save another. How many do they lose? I don't think anyone's considering, you know, the, the effect that that's going to have on them over, over the long term. I'd encourage you, pray for, pray for the first responders, the, the, the firemen, the medics, and the, the policemen who uh, go on these calls day in and day out, you know. We have bursts and blips of happiness, often initiated by the perfect state of our health, the spending of money, the taking of vacations. That's always a good one, right? Or the satisfaction a relationship could bring. See, there's one you can work with, right? But according to the gospel, the greatest joy any one of us will ever experience is the direct result of our experiencing the indwelling, ongoing presence of the God who is himself joy. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Our strength. The kingdom comes with joy. Romans 14, 17. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking although you'd hardly know that in the Christian. <laughs> Do some eating. Huh? <laughs> but of righteousness and peace and joy 
in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. If anyone ever asks you, hey, what's the kingdom of God? I'm not going to try to sing that one. Joy is the common experience of virtually every person we come upon in the birth narrative of Jesus. Unless you were Herod, Mary's gossiping neighbors, or the angel of death, joy was an overwhelming part of God's entry into the world at Christmas. The kingdom comes with laughter. Have you ever seen a mother when her baby abruptly moves within her womb? Often one of the mother's first physical expressions of the event after an initial look of shock is a smile, right? And what often accompanies that smile, a short burst of laughter. Joy cannot be bottled up for long. Life growing, bouncing, and moving underneath the surface of our lives is the primary indicator that God's kingdom activity is stirring within. Hmm? Many people who come to faith in Jesus have a story that includes the word joy. Joy is a sustained sense of well-being dictated not by circumstances, but rather by relationship. Oh, there's that word again. Hmm? Sounds like relationship's pretty important, don't you think? Hmm. That joy has enabled them to smile before their enemies and even to laugh when the world as they knew it was falling to pieces around them. Ask the Apostle Paul about that. Hmm. The smile that was dawned that has dawned the face of countless millions who have had an experience with the Spirit of Jesus must be not unlike the smile that we can guess Elizabeth wore when she and her unborn son met face to face and womb to womb with Mary and Jesus. That must have been quite a sight. The kingdom, the kingdom comes with singing. Hmm? Angels sang at Christ's birth. Why is singing such a key to a joy-filled church? Singing, unless you are one of the world's great vocalists, is often an act of humility. The proud rarely sing in public. They are too busy caring for the image, courting the crowd, or considering how important it is to hide uncontrolled emotion and portray impervious strength. But the humble, how many of you remember the first time you were in a church service and you lifted your hands in worship? How long did it take you to get there? Right? Right? It's one of the things I love about being in in the sound booth. I see it happen. You know, people come week one. Week two, they're kind of... Week three. Week four. (laughs) Just watch the transformation. You know, something happens in worship. There's this joy that 
gets deep into the soul, into the spirit. It rises. It causes the flesh to to want to do more than it's been able to do in the past. The humble, the humble sing, and when they sing, they do it with gusto. We must be a humble church. Because <laughs> you, guys, you guys sing with gusto. Mary sang, as we sang earlier, the Magnificat when Elizabeth came to visit her. Paul and Barnabas sang in prison. All right, now, you, you might say, you know, well, I got put in jail one night. I didn't feel like singing. No. We shouldn't have drank so much for one thing. But not only were they put in prison, they had been beaten by a mob. They had been stripped naked. They had been beaten with rods. They were put into the inner prison, which means they were in solitary confinement and chained to the wall. Sounds like a worship service to me, right? So what, what, what's that inner working? What could it be that would cause you to express worship and praise in a situation like that? What's the last thing that got you down? I'm not going to church. I don't feel it. So-and-so said this. Did you see that remark they made about me on Facebook? That's it. I'm all done. I'm all done. No more relations. I'm all done with that. We're all my friends. I thought they were my friends, right? Yeah, I know. <laughs> huh? Read the story about Paul and Philippi. Come on, you know? I remember challenging someone, and it was a pretty harsh thing that happened to this individual, but I just went down the list. I said, so, uh, did they scourge you back with a whip, rip the flesh off it? They spit in your face, punch you in the eye, make a crown of thorns and bash it onto your head, drag you through the streets. Did they nail you to a cross yet? No. What's your problem? (laughs) Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. And you can't take a verbal insult? Can't take a Facebook remark. It robs you of your joy that Jesus paid such a high price to be able to give to you. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Hmm? And we're so offended. It's Advent. Consider these things. The king is coming. Every week, Christians sing in church, not because they have amazing voices. (laughs) Did I say anything? (laughs) Or are eager for those around them to hear their bellows, (laughs) but because they are filled with joy. It's an outward expression. And even when Christians are not filled with joy, singing is a powerful gateway to joy being renewed by the Spirit within us. 
When we sing things that are true, we come to believe them more. And when we sing, the joy of the kingdom can invade not only our hearts, but also the hearts of those who are listening. Here's a little exercise you could do. Find some of the songs you most love to sing at this time of year, Advent. Take an hour to get them on your phone or music device or playlist. Then as you listen through the holidays, sing. Sing. Find spaces to sing loudly, like in your car or your home or if no one is around or in your church, and let your singing renew your Christmas joy once again. Once again. Francis of Assisi said this, Holy humility confounds pride in all the men of this world and all things that are in the world. Humility confounds. Would you stand with me, please? Holy Spirit, bring the kingdom, bring the kingdom, Holy Spirit, righteousness, peace, and joy, that we might celebrate our humble king, this precious gift given to us by a loving father this wonderful counselor, this prince of peace, this mighty God, all that you are, Lord Jesus, in us and we in you. We thank you, O oh God, that the time is coming when the angels will once again make heavenly declaration that you have arrived. Not in humility this time, but in power and in majesty and in glory and in might to come and restore all that has been ruined by sin and death. We celebrate you now in this season, O oh God, and we ask that you would give to us your peace and your joy that we might spend this season not in conflict, not worrying about what to give or what to get, but in your presence. Let us be like the wise men, O oh God, seeking the one who is to come, who has come and will come again, that we might know you all the more and be known by you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, God bless you guys. If you need prayer, some of us will be up front here. Uh, do come up and receive that. Otherwise, you